welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the creative people of Austin, Texas. My intention is to have conversations that are meaningful, inspiring, and in-depth, with the goal of making a connection first with the person I'm interviewing, hopefully adding value to their life and career, and then sharing that content with the local community and potentially anyone in the world. Please share any feedback you have and leave me a rating and review on iTunes. That could help others find the podcast and inspire them to take a chance and give it a try. And if you're listening to this through an app on your phone, be sure to visit austinarttalk.com on your computer to get the full effect of each episode's webpage and to follow the links provided that are relevant to the guests and what we talk about. Painter and sculptor America Martin endeavors daily to capture the gorgeous and interesting world we live in and the people in it through her art. She wants to hold and translate moments and attempt to acknowledge them with the gesture of her hand or brush. It's not enough just to look. America creates prolifically in her sizable L.A. studio, and her paintings, drawings, and sculptures are exhibited nationwide. She voraciously consumes literature, music, art, and people with a sense of just what little time we do have, and is motivated by her curiosity, desire to experiment with new things, and all the joyful parts of life. As you might hear, we recorded this conversation during an intense rainstorm, and we're half-soaked. So much fun. Be sure to check out her work at Wally Workman Gallery on West 6th Street here in Austin. I was trying to remember, but I think I've been visiting that gallery for almost 20 years and have met so many other amazing artists and people that way. Thanks, Wally. So here is my interview with America. Okay, America, thanks for being on my podcast. Thank you, Scott, for having me. Yeah. Well, for anyone listening that might not be familiar with you or your work, uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, my name is America Martin, and I'm a painter and a sculptor, and I reside in Los Angeles, California. Yeah, actually, you will be my first interviewee who does not live in Austin. Cool. Because I've been trying to be really strict about just interviewing Austin people because there's so many awesome, there's so many creative people here, here. I know. But... Since you do show your work here at Wally Workman, I thought, um, and you are a very inspiring artist for, I think, a lot of people, I, I thought oh. it might be good to share you with Austin. Well, thanks for letting me slip in. Yeah. So I've read a lot of interviews about you, and I, I know that your interest in art started pretty early, and you kind of never look back, right? Yeah. Yeah. How did, how did it start? Um, I was nine and I fell in love with, um, I always had like music, classical music and literature that was really prevalent in my household growing up, but fine art wasn't something that I was around. And, um, I had found a Vincent van Gogh book and sort of just would copy paintings from it and teach myself how to mix colors with like whatever materials I had at the time. And I guess really had a like one of your aha moments where I was like, "This is what I want to do. This is a language that I can understand." Yeah, like that. And you started, didn't you? Start some kind of uh, not an internship, but an apprenticeship, if you will. Apprenticeship. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. Um, Vernon Wilson is one of the most beautiful humans on the planet, and he was a professor at Art Center, and um, his work is very Degas esque, mm-hmm. classical, and. Um, awesome 
and he taught a life drawing class on Saturdays. And many of his students would come to the life drawing class. And I started going there from, like, I guess the age of nine to basically 18. And um, at first my mom had to come and stay with me because there'd be, you know, one Saturday's a woman and one Saturday's a man. Yeah. And eventually she didn't, you know, she was, she went back to school, so she had all this homework to do. Yeah. It was just the best thing ever. Like, not even learning how to draw the form, but like the whole vibe. This little, like, brick building that he had in Old Town Pasadena. In the morning there was coffee, the smell of coffee and donuts. I was never allowed to have any donuts. (laughs) But they looked really cool. Yeah. Always classical music or opera playing. And uh, it was great. And when you look at the work that you did back then, does it resemble in any way the work you're doing now? The funny thing is, like, the first drawings that I have, it looks similar. You can tell that it, I don't know, it's like, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Which means that, you know, hopefully I've developed a little bit more but <laughs> since I was nine, but yeah, it's definitely, there's an, I don't know, like an attitude or a, a vibe or a style, I guess, that is there. And the cool thing is that Vernon never was trying to, teach that out of you or something as a lot of fine mm. art professors can do um, I learned later he was very just like he, I'd be doing a drawing and he'd come over and he'd be like he'd just nod and then he'd be like let's take a look at the swivel of the hip how could you make how would you try that again where you actually feel the swivel and then I'd be like oh and I'd never thought of that mm. you know and then like having a thinner and a a stronger line like that just those two a thicker and a thin line can put a spin on something and make it feel like it's in rotation so he was like the best what else do you think you learn from him that kind of manifests in your life every day or in your art career uh i guess definitely you know you emulate those that you admire uh in my studio when i really want to have like a like a good long day i always start it by playing classical music or opera. I love classical music and opera, mm-hmm. but having that play loudly and then even if I don't drink it, I make a pot of coffee and I love the smell and it's this nostalgic mm. thing that creates the tone for the day. Yeah. Anytime I can, I always buy someone donuts because they just look so <laughs> cute in that pink box. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So when you got done with your apprenticeship, then you went to Boston to go to school, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What was that like? I originally had wanted to go to Cooper Union because, I mean, Mark Twain spoke there. Yeah. Cooper Union has been a place where awesome people have come forever. Yeah. Emerson, you know. But um, I didn't get in, and I was like, that's it. I don't want to do this college bull <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I was not into it at all. Yeah. I just wanted to paint and make art. I think my parents weren't too keen on that. But there wasn't anything they could do, really. Mm-hmm. And I had applied to, I think, like 12 colleges. Um, anyway, I had a friend who said, oh, guess what? No, you have to go to college. It's going to change you, and it's going to be something important. And so I listened to her, and I, I went the only place I got in. Oh. So, I, you know, <laughs> that yeah. was it. I got a scholarship for one year to go to the Boston Museum School. You know, I had two jobs, three jobs, while I was working and doing the school thing and um, it was hard and uh, when that was over I learned so much it was an amazing school but essentially many professors said like oh guess what you're not going to be able to do this as a full time job 
this is something that you're doing right now, but always have something to fall back on. Why would they say that? Yeah, why would a professor say <laughs> such a thing? Why, why would someone who is like, you know, holding the young beating hearts of wow. slightly older children say like, hey, don't do the thing that you really want to do because the world's hard out there. Because they, they were practicing artists who were teaching. I don't know. There was one professor, a uh, printmaking professor, who said the opposite. He hmm. was like, yes, you're going to do this. Do it. He told all the kids that. He was beautiful. Hmm. But yeah, wow. I went there and then I came back. It seems like that's a theme that comes up with a lot of artists I talk to is a, like the what might have been motivating those professors is like the starving artist myth. It seems like even I, I would never have expected a professor at art college to think that way. But I guess they're thinking like you can't make a living as an artist. Maybe they couldn't. So they didn't think anyone else could or. Yeah. Well, I find that sometimes people can be very ungenerous with the prospect of hope. Hmm. Not all the time, but especially in position of power, sometimes people aren't generous with this. And that's the one thing I think people should be extra generous about. Almost mm. like faith, like just blindly give mm-hmm. people all the hope they can. Yeah. So you decided to listen to the printmaking teacher instead, huh? I decided to just get upset and leave. <laughs> and like the year was over. I was like, I was a lot skinnier than I was, you know, it was, it was a tough, it was my first Mm. uh, winter away from home, Mm. being a Californian. So I remember being like, wait a second, Converse don't keep the snow out of your feet? (laughs) This is crazy. very well, yeah. So you left there and what happened next? Um, I moved back home and... um, you're feeling um, pretty dejected at that point, or you're like, no, I am going to be an artist? Or? Oh, I, there was never a moment that I didn't think I was going to do it. Yeah. And I did. I had waitress jobs and bartending jobs. You know, mm-hmm. I lied and I was still young, um, but I got bartending jobs and waiting tables and painted all the time, constantly, and would find places to have pop-up shows. Mm. Yeah, it was like sort of like... The routine, you find, you make some art and you find someone who's got like a storefront and then you find like someone who knows someone who has access to beer and then you get some <laughs> of that and then you, you know, find someone who's got like a record player and then you hang it all up really quick after the store closes. Oh, yeah. And you invite everyone you know and then uh, people come and they drink all the beer and you take all the art home and you go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, okay, next one. Week by week, month yeah. by month. Yeah. yeah. And you enjoyed that whole process, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, I didn't have any other idea of what to do. Yeah. That was just like, I want to make stuff, and then you're supposed to show it. How do I show it? Oh, you have an empty wall? What? You're on a street where people come, and there's restaurants next door? That's a place to have an art show. Yeah. I mean, what really drives you to make art, do you think? Like, what? What drives me to make art? That... Like, the way that I look at things, anything, I feel like uh, perhaps it's quite selfish, but even this big storm that's brewing outside, yeah. like, I look at it and I feel like my eyes aren't acknowledging it enough. Ah. I feel like almost restless that I'm not able to look at it and be satisfied. I want to capture it again. I want to, like, hold the moment again through my hand or a gesture of that big tree blowing in the wind so that's something that I guess I want to recycle and 
feel it again, but mm. through my translation, I guess. Yeah. Because I think this world is so gosh darn gorgeous, and people are so interesting that it's not enough just to look at them. I want to like smell them and draw them and feel it again. Yeah. Which is sometimes exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me think of your, you know, I've been following you for years on Instagram. And I guess what I've gleaned from that about you, not knowing you very well, you just seem very uninhibited, very joyful, very open, very willing and wanting to connect with people, to understand people, anyone on the street, anyone in your world. And I don't know, it's very, I don't know, it, that's not the way I've always approached the world because I think I have more fear. But um, I'm just wondering, do you, well, where do you think that comes things. from? Thank you. Where does that come from? Um, it's just like this openness, I feel like, that you have a openness and a joy and a wanting to celebrate life. You know? Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Those are really kind compliment things. <laughs> I would love to be associated with. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think you are? No, I, I feel these things. I, I, I guess I feel that life is like this short window. Yeah. And we have like, I mean, very quite short. Let's think about it, right? Yeah. We're like very small. And then we have to learn how to like, you know, wipe our own bottoms and feed ourselves and then go out in the world and somehow figure out how to keep a roof over our heads just when we get good at that you know or you're busy learning how to do all that then you've got this little window and then it all starts going to hell in a handbasket you know <laughs> someone else has to wipe your bottom someone else has to put a roof you like ah, so this little yes. window of like wait a minute and then and then the cool thing is the arts music literature like I want it and books when you go into a library or a bookstore and you're like Someone wrote, all, like this. These are hundreds of lives. What do they know? What are the secrets that they found out? Yeah. And maybe if I read all of them, I'll get a jump start and have new perspectives. You know, it's like time travel, but yeah. all in one life. So, yeah. I guess I'm just very curious and fascinated about life. So I wanna, I wanna see as much as I can and. Like that, but the joyful bits, you know. I know that there's hard bits and hard parts, but um, you know, you have to you have to pick your poisons. Yeah. So, so you I don't joy. You don't seem very afraid of the darkness at all, to me. At least that's the impression I get. No, I'm not afraid of the darkness. I can totally confront and have the darkness, um, but I choose to. If there's like four words to say about the day, I'll choose the two that are nicer. And yeah. leave the other one in the corner. Yeah. There's a quote at the top of your Tumblr blog. It says, There's not enough time in this life for all the things I want to learn and wonder at this world. I really love oh, that. Yeah, that sounds like something I said a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> sort of almost obnoxious, like this voracious appetite. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I feel that too. I feel that too. There's also this other quote of yours that I found on one of your galleries websites that I really thought was inspiring. The artist cannot be idle. It is only duty, love, and discipline that make art. Inspiration exists, but it has to find us working. I really love that. The artist is gluttonous, constantly devouring life in order to translate all that she sees, smells, lives, or breathes into her own language. Exactly what you were talking about with the rainstorm, wanting to capture that. 
why and for what for the blistering personal joy that comes when one is doing something of and about truth there is no choosing this life an artist paints because she must i remember writing that yeah it's wonderful yeah yeah. And that's what I, yeah, that's, that I seems like you. That's, it's so funny like that I wrote that years ago and I'm still saying the same thing. How very boring. <laughs> <laughs> I think it uh, speaks to your integrity probably around your work and your life. I guess so. Yeah, I guess I've probably been the same shape since, you know, Yeah. I was a shape. Do you think that you're the way you are, the way you think, the way you work, do you think it's rare? I mean, do you see yourself in the world or do you feel like... I'm unique in some way, or I don't. Just the way people I, when, react to you. Or when I meet other people who are very passionate and alive about a thing, I get very excited. I'm mm-hmm. like, "Oh my gosh, we're the same kind of dog." You wiggle, 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 wag, wag. But um, I don't really see myself from outside eye, okay. eyes. Mm-hmm. I don't think of myself in this way. Yeah. So you don't think you have like a self consciousness about about how you. How people see you or how they might perceive you or something you're doing. Um, Because I feel like I have that kind of to the extreme. I feel like I'm always, I mean, I think I've grown out of this quite a bit, but I feel like I do have kind of a, I've always had a worry of what people think about me. And Mm -hmm. so then I'd have like this hyper awareness of almost putting myself in other people's positions, perceiving me or perceiving what I'm doing. And it's not... A very freeing place to be. I guess that's where I find myself sometimes. Right. Know? No, and I understand that. Um, I used to. I am very. I can be very aware of you know what and how I'm doing things. You know, when I was a kid, kid before fell in love with art, I acted. I think the last thing I did was like until I was 16 or something. So very much I can know and be aware of what uh, you know you're doing something, but. Um, I think if you're making art, that's the last place you're going to be standing is with one foot on land and one foot on the boat. Mm-hmm. It's called the big splits, and you only get ripped up the seams if you do that. I think mm. you've got to totally commit, and if you're going to make something, you're going to blindly make it and not care about one way or the other if someone's going to like it or do it. And um, I don't know. that It's sort of one of those things, like, you got to... like. People don't believe things that you half-ass, so you got to have a whole ass. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you just made that up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. So between where we left off, maybe coming back to L.A. from school, starting to work, starting to find places to show your work, what are their kind of notable moments would you like to talk about or share as far as between then and now that kind of when you think about moments in your art career that were defining in any way? Oh, yeah. Let's see. Everyone gives someone a break, right? And so sometimes you either see it as a window and you jump out or you don't. There's definitely some breaks. I think the first one was finding Vincent Van Gogh Mm -hmm. and falling in love with him. Still love him. And then the second thing would be that my friend, Lily McDowell, her mom is a wonderful actress, Mary Steenburgen, and I had been drawing Lily because she's beautiful. Mary had said, oh, do you have any other drawings that you've done? And I was like, oh, yeah. She's like, why don't you photograph them? And um, I'll send a couple of them out to my friends. 
So I took like little disposable camera and <laughs> laid out my couple drawings and then went to, you know, Rite Aid and got multiple, like, spent all the money I had to make like 10 copies of each picture and glued them on like black construction paper <laughs> and titled them and like folded envelopes and I gave her these little packets and she sold one of the drawings mm. to one of her friends. And I think I got like $70 or something. And I was floored. Yeah. I was like, what? Someone bought something that I drew? And it was a life drawing from my life drawing class that yeah. I'd been doing since a kid. And I was like, wait a minute. I could do this. And she... Her asking that and asking me to put together something and then me really, you know, making it be as beautiful as I could. I And then it worked. It was like bonkers. And then th that's when I was like, you know, all my friends were like, oh, can you not draw me right now? Like, <laughs> but um, yeah, she really gave me that first amazing break where I had this note of like confidence of like someone else agrees that this might be worth doing. Hmm. And then I think the other one was when I was 20, 21, my mother offered that I could live in her garage and quit my bartending job and uh, live in her garage and paint. Hmm. And um, she would off I think she offered like to give me like $100 a month. And I was like, oh, no, mom, like I've got friends and doing stuff and I'm having little pop up art shows. So I said no. And the next morning, I called her and I was like, does the offer still stand? <laughs> and I ended up quitting my bartending job, cleaning out the garage, and living in there and painting for two years. Mm. Because of that, I was able to then get... I had I got the second break as the Santa Barbara Art Company. They took work that I'd made in those two years and taught me all the bits. Mm. It's lots of people that, you know... So yeah. many helpful yeah. hints. Now it just sounds like I'm just saying all the parts. But yeah, every, everybody's huge parts. Yeah. So what exactly happened after that two years? Um, I made a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it was like a residency almost. In um, a way. You could, I mean, where you're kind of just allowed to go garage. and work. <laughs> right. <laughs> and not have to worry about as much. Right, yeah. Right. right. It was it a was really amazing moment because I didn't... I thought I was doing it i thought i was having pop-up shows and did it but then being able to paint every 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 day um and you know the process of like really being present and getting an idea and seeing it all the way through and making series of work and series of work and that really changed it and since then you've just been working yeah always always hustling always working yeah yeah and hustle i guess sounds a little bit slangy <laughs> but um i mean you got to be creative and figure out how you how you can do what you want to do so yeah you know i was talking to an artist yesterday about this and she was kind of lamenting she thought that and she had you know she would talk to other people and they would have the same experience it's like some artists maybe they're only painting 10 percent of the time and the rest of the time is all this like marketing and social media and applications and meetings and all this other stuff. I don't know. I don't get that impression from your career that that's what it's like. Maybe I'm not seeing all that obviously in your well, social media, but I mean like how, 
what percentage of your life is actually creating art, do you think? It's, it seems like it's probably pretty high. Yes. I do make a lot of things. I've always, always had that problem or uh, character trait that, like, even as a kid, you know, we're making, like, paper mache calendars. I'd make six of them. It's sort of like a crocodile or something. It's kind of obnoxious. <laughs> You're but prolific. Yeah. Um, but there is a lot of the administration bit to it, you know? When you make stuff, then you got to, like, archive it. And you have photographs of it. And you got to title it. You got to measure it correctly. And you got to put it somewhere. And then it's in the baby deeper da pop 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 All the bits. And, uh, you know, and then when you send something out, something needs an art receipt. And then that art receipt has to get uh, two copies. Where do you put these? You need a file cabinet. Oh, and let's have color coordinated files. Like, there's, there, there's lots of parts. Yeah. But I, I actually enjoy those things because I'm, I'm, um, I have sort of a disorganization to my organization. So when I find someone knows about like wonderful nerdy things, I love it. I think of myself as a nerd. A nerd is someone who's deeply passionate and doesn't give a hoot if it looks funny. Mm-hmm. So when someone has got the organization bit down, or you know, I'm like, that. Wait, that's fascinating. Teach me. Mm. Um, so I like those parts. <clears throat> I'm not the best at them, but um, I've learned a lot. Yeah. I'm still learning. Another thing that I've kind of gotten the impression from your from your Instagram is that you have a lot of people helping you, like all the time. It seems like you're always collaborating with people, working with people to bring your work to fruition. I think a lot of people like um, in the studio. Yeah, like craftspeople or well, just yeah, anyone, all well, kinds of people. Yeah, I mean. There's like, you know, so you make something and then you got to get it stretched. So I have a stretcher. Yeah. Because I found that it's way cheaper back when I started to buy canvas raw on a roll Mm -hmm. than to paint on pre-stretched canvases. So I would just, for years, oh, for so long, I would just, I would buy a roll of canvas, paint a painting, roll it up, Mm -hmm. stick it in the corner. Paint, Paint a painting, roll it up, stick it in the corner. So when I first got my gallery Santa Barbara Art Company which is now the Elizabeth Gordon Gallery it's run by mother and daughter Heidi and Gail Ferguson the best people ever mm. if they had a hot dog stand I would sell things with them they're, <laughs> they gave me the first chance and oh, they're, wow. they're the best um, but they were the ones that were like oh we have a stretcher and we have to stretch these and I was like well, yeah I've heard of that's the whole point but I had no idea where you find such a stretcher and yeah. Like, where do you buy the stretcher bars? Home Depot? Like, no. Yeah, so then you have a stretcher, and then you got to photograph it, and you got to frame it. So I, I guess that's that, like, stretcher, framer, photographer. Didn't you have some kind of a studio manager or something that Christina left recently? Christina Klikovic. Yeah. Yes. She um, helped me with packing the art, with archiving the art. Yeah, she was the best. Yeah. She's off on a new adventure. Oh, nice. Yeah. So when when was that transition for you where you were like just kind of doing everything yourself and then you're just like, okay, I need help. I need to start bringing in other people to kind of make, realize this. Well, bringing in other people, I guess, is the only thing is the studio manager. That was the bit of, because um, before I had to always find someone to help build the crate or do that. 
I guess um I don't know. It was several years ago where I thought to my I thought I was like, wait a second, like I need to start archiving these things and I put an add-on on Craigslist. You know, I was like, because I was packing everything and filing everything, and I, so I put an ad out like, if someone is cheerful and hardworking and would like to be able to work with another cheerful, hardworking person, yeah. like, and knows about computer savvy stuff, because I don't. So finding someone who has strengths that I don't have and being able to take all my, like, caveman drawings of art receipts and files and putting it actually into a hard drive or something like that so the business side i think a lot of artists feel like they have to kind of master all these things and kind of figure it out on their own and it's very daunting you know yeah but you were just like okay i'm gonna outsource these things as much as i can i mean i'd had my archaic system yeah and i thought it was like i was like oh this is good (laughs) (laughs) And then when someone was like, oh, no, there's, like, something called a this and a that. And I'm like, oh, yes, that's that's what this, like, cardboard rendition is of that. <laughs> and so then I realized, I was like, oh, this is so much, so this is so helpful because now instead of painting for eight hours and then packing for, like, eight hours, I can paint for 16 hours. Mm-hmm. I think this quote might be appropriate at this moment. And I, I, I think you said this. <laughs> when you push the muse away with the regular life stuff for too long, he or she stops visiting. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The muse. Tell me about the muse. What does that mean to you? It can mean anything, you know, to, to anybody. Like, even, um, like, your gut, almost. Your gut instinct. Like... I think when, like, when you're a kid and you have like a feeling about something, and someone goes, "Oh no, 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 that, honey, that's just that. That's like a dismissal of the muse of your gut telling mm-hmm. you something." And you know, when you believe in like fairies or that the wind closed the door for you, and mm-hmm. when someone goes, "No, it was just the wind because the window's open," and you you discount the magic, the magic stops presenting itself. I think. And it can always come back, but you have to actually, like, just let the, let it all open and listen to it. And any time, you know, not run around like a, like a strange idiot, you know. <laughs> but trusting, trusting in your gut. And, you know, when you hear a little bit of poetry in your head, take the time to jot it down. That's like acknowledging the muse. And the mm. more you do it, the more the words will come, the more the whimsy will happen, the more you'll sort of lend yourself to the fern, gully, shadier side of making things or believing in things. Mm-hmm. And you can always, and I think a lot of times people, oh, I lost this or I'm blocked or this. And like, you can always get it back, but you just have to like wake up every day and give it a little whistle, put a little food out for it. <laughs> nice. Actually, makes me think of uh, a question that I, I I was reading something this morning. They were talking about magical thinking, mm. and in, if you're kind of thinking in that way, what would be? It doesn't have to be three, but three wishes that you would have for your life, for you, not necessarily for the world, but three wishes for your life. 
Oof. if you're thinking and ma- magically. Like you're a genie and I have three wishes? Yeah, about, but it was just about your life, about you. Selfishly, just for me old, yeah. me old self. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. What a dangerously wonderful thing to ask. Um, and they don't have to make sense. No. Uh, so I guess uh, three wishes for me. One, I guess the first one, the people that I love, that they get to experience love then I can see that in their eyes and that would make me feel like I ate turkey for like my whole life (laughs) Um, number two that um, oh gosh that's really hard I guess I'm just trying to get at like what you really dream of like what do you really fantasize about your life looking at or being or maybe it is already that way but you know that my life's a perfect bowl of cereal. <laughs> no soggy cornflakes. Um, Isn't it? Bad, bad chance. Bad chance. I don't know. Gosh, three wishes, I, I guess. It doesn't have to be three. Okay. I guess if I could wish something that, that everyone I loved and me myself included could n- never die and not get old and ill, but be able to continually learn and make and grow. Hmm. And it's not practical, but... You know, I like the idea of like, and I can go and meet all the other people that are doing awesome, wonderful things and be friends with them and listen and learn things from them. Sort of like a vampire or something, but without (laughs) like the the goth drudgery of it. Killing people. Yeah. (laughs) Without the creepy long eye looks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. I know some of these questions might be overlapping in some way, but, and this might be kind of a lame question, but... What does success or fulfillment look like for you? Um, being able to experiment and do more and being able to take care of, I guess, my family. What does it mean to take care of your family? That my mom doesn't have to worry about her mortgage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that <laughs> what you consider your family, your mom? Is there anyone Oh, else? yeah. I mean, I have a, I have a extended family. I've got cousins and nieces and nephews. Um, but when I, I guess when I say my mom, I mean my family. She's my best friend, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me about her. She, her name is Margaret Martin, and she's awesome. She um, went back to school at 30 and got her doctorate in public health. And then um, created this uh, nonprofit called Harmony Project that teaches uh, music education to inner city kids all around Los Angeles. And then a couple of years back, she got like two Obama awards mm. for doing good goodness. Like the program changes lives. It's, you know, the kids' parents may not speak English, but then the kid gets to go get a scholarship to Stanford. Mm. Like the way that her program works, like the act of learning music creates this discipline and from a young age and all the way up from a young age is after school and it creates this sort of habitat in the kid that I guess you know begets other good begettings mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever that yeah. means yeah. anyway it's cool so yeah that's that's uh, that's my mom she sounds like a very inspiring person yeah do yeah. you get to see her often um, yeah she lives in Hollywood and we actually we try to have dinner once a week. Nice. Mm-hmm. And you seem to also be pretty good about spending time with friends and kind of 
facilitating groups of people getting together and just being together and talking and eating and you know is that true yeah I mean, that's the kind of the impression i get from your life like that's really important it is well because um being a painter is the, is a, a solitude life you know yeah. you're in the alone painting it doesn't happen if you're not doing it next to art people are my favoriteest things i just mm-hmm. think they people are so interesting and beautiful like the color choices someone chooses to wear like how did you figure that out you look great <laughs> <laughs> but uh i part of like the joy of having the studio is that i have a space where i can bring people together and make food or i just had uh, friends from portland come through town and they played a show and people came and it's nice to facilitate uh, a place where people can nurture and foster that sort of act. I used to do way more of it. When I first was in the studio, I would throw art shows for other artists um, just so that they would have a body of work that they could see up and then invite other curators or try to get gallery interest. And I had the whole area mocked up like a gallery. Because hmm. something happens for an artist when you see a body of work or pieces up on a wall it finishes the cycle for you and it can either be like oh wait i don't want to do this the next idea should be like this or like oh this is good now i i'm going to go in this this direction but um sometimes you can't see it unless it's up mm-hmm. away from you in the presented st- like uh situation but then um i became like a ficus tree and started just you know downstairs was all the molding for my frames and the packing material and so that went away so now it's just upstairs in the studio where I have more mm, like we do poetry readings and dinners and music and stuff no longer the art stuff maybe describe really quickly your studio for people that probably don't know about it it's pretty it seems like a pretty impressive dreamy artist <laughs> studio it's, it's, uh, it is a dream I've had every kind of studio I've had Garages, garage. <laughs> many garages in my life. Um, my kitchen in one little apartment where, you know, my back was against the fridge and my arm extended <laughs> and there was the wall. And I painted a lot of paintings on that wall. Um, but this is a beautiful, big butler building. It's like a big metal building. And um, it's uh, two stories. It's bottom level, top level. And up until recently, I was living there um, for, like, I guess the last five years. And um, it's big metal building, so when it rains, it sounds dreamy because it's very loud. It's concrete floors, and it's a big space. Mm. So you moved out into another space? Uh, no, I, yeah, the studio is still my work, but yeah. I'm no longer going to be living in there, oh. which is really nice because there's been many a night I've gone to bed with a gas mask on because yeah. I've done too much spray painting or varnishing and and okay. it's late and I'm tired, but <laughs> <laughs> it's stinky. Yeah. So that's what spurred you to move into another living space? Um, yeah. And also like the idea that it might be even more productive to step away from the work and not see it when you go to bed, you know. Hmm. But then you also can't wake up at four in the morning and just start painting as easily. Well, I live, it's very close to the studio, oh, okay. so I could. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't stop me. Gotcha. Yeah. 
I've been trying to mix things up with this interview and kind of try to come up with some different questions. And I came up with this, this might seem like a totally bizarre question that I thought of this morning. So let's imagine in the future, who knows when it is, 10,000 years, 100,000 years, a million years, there's no humans left on the earth. Right. And these alien archaeologists come down Mm -hmm. and the only trace they can find that humans existed is a huge cache of all of your work that you've ever created. Wow. What do you think that those alien archaeologists would be able to deduce from looking at your work about mankind or humans or human behavior? They'd be like, why did only women lay around uh, holding (laughs) fruit and birds sitting on their shoulders? What race was this? (laughs) They'd be like, this is what the depiction of life was? Just lazy fat women rolling around? (laughs) And, uh, you know, like all the weird different series that I've done. Yeah. Like, yeah, I love, I love voluptuous shapes of bodies and I guess that's what I've done but I don't know I think in 10 million years those paintings would be long worm food (laughs) I know it's hypothetical I just think that like you're such a study of human behavior you're an anthropologist you know essentially right I mean you're in in my in in the in the work that I've um, shown I don't know if you would see it but I have a lot of work that's more anthropological like the bottle collector series I've done um, over the years and like where I go out and I photograph different neighborhoods who have awesome looking bottle collectors. I mean, these guys, you know, bottle collectors. Yeah. Like they're, they're amazing. Like they got to keep the sun out of their face. They got to not touch the gross bottles. So they've got really magical gloves. And then where do you put all the bottles and where do you put all the bottles when you don't have access to great, a whole box of sturdy you know, hefty bags or something. So like nets and all these things. And they just look like these amazing travelers. And so some of them, they don't like to be photographed, but some of them will come and just start conversations and take photographs over like months. And that's more of an anthropological thing to me than, than the work that I exhibit mostly. Yeah. But I guess also if it's just people, I could see that too, but yeah, that's what I I love about you and your work is you're just so interested in people. I just like I think about like where I live mm-hmm. in this little apartment complex. I feel like I've gotten caught up in this and luckily I'm moving out of there, but it's like I just feel like everyone's like wants to keep to themselves and everyone kind of avoids each other and you like you kind of you walk out your door and someone has their door open a little bit and they'll just close it or whatever. You know, it's just like this. It's like everyone's just kind of wanting to keep to themselves, kind of wanting to stay private. They don't want to interact with people and I just feel like you're the exact opposite. I feel like you're more than willing to talk with anyone, interact with anyone. It doesn't matter if they're living on the street or whatever. I just find that so interesting. Well, our our culture is is a particular one, you know, like we don't like it when someone stands too close at the at the crosswalk next to us, you yeah. know? And in other countries, you're used to someone's shoulder pushing up against you or even in New York, you know, people come and lean into you on the subway. Yeah, if they lean a little fresh, you give them a little elbow, but you know, <laughs> yeah. like I guess it's the way we have so much space perhaps, like, you know, we don't live on top of each other, you know? Mm-hmm. So I guess whatever begets more of begetting. I don't know how to say that better, but you know, you have more space, then you're like, "What are you doing in my get shotgun? Like, (laughs) get away from this is my land. Like, your boundaries are your boundaries, and 
as Americans, we like our space, you know? It just seems like it would lend itself to disconnection, and it seems like you're all about connection. I don't know. It, it seems is that funny, way. and especially with all like this, how, you know, you don't have to go to the grocery store. Amazon will bring you your groceries. It's like the interactions of people it seems it's going to a, a more narrow range. Mm. You know, you're on your phone and... But that's the interesting bit. We have all this, like, space and we want to be disconnected. And yet, like, people are constantly doing the same thing I said before. They're taking a selfie going, I'm here. Like, this moment is so precious. Or, like, life is so fleeting. Look, here I am. Look, I'm doing fun stuff. Look, I'm, you know, all this social media. It's proof that you're, like, here. And I totally get that. You know, people, that's why I think all people are artists. And you either make your life like art or you make art or you read about art or. Yeah. I don't know. But I just wonder if that's really as fulfilling as like having a dinner with a big group of people and talking about art and love or whatever. You know, it just seems like it's very disconnected. It is. I I find sometimes when I go on social media, I feel quite lonely. Like, Mm. I go, wow, people are in Jamaica having coconuts? I'm cold in my studio alone. Like, people got it so good, man. (laughs) (laughs) I must be doing something wrong. I gotta, I gotta do more coconut Jamaica time. I don't know how I'm gonna fit that in, but somewhere. Well, people don't show all the rough parts either. (laughs) Of course, of course, yeah. And that, yeah, and that's another bit. I think in other countries, people are more apt to feel and show more raw emotion. Mm. And I think. We have sort of a, a veneer that we like to have. Yeah, and there's also kind of like a kind of Puritan stuffiness about like nudity and all these other things. It's a lot different in other countries too. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm, I'm constantly amazed that people don't take off their pants in grocery stores and they <laughs> drive in the yellow lines on the highway. Like I, I, I can't tell you how often I go. Oh, good job, everybody. You're staying in your lanes. Like, we're not all crashing into each other. Like, I've had a bad day. I'm sure you have, too. Like, good job. Like, sometimes that Puritan stuffiness is the glue that keeps us from pulling out each other's eyelashes or something. I don't know. Right. That's true. Yeah. What, What artists inspire you? Many different artists, everything from fine art to literature to music. But in the fine art realm, um, I have a couple favorites I'd love to shout out. Tom Dixon in Taos, New Mexico. He is fantastic. He does, um, I guess, more abstract work, really beautiful colors. And he has a catchphrase that he uses for his work, attention, line, and form. Hmm. And for him, that's what a successful painting is. It's got tension, line, and form. I could be messing this up, but I think it's one of those three trifectas. But he's, I mean, talk about like an Obi-Wan Kenobi, like lives with his dog Lucky and paints every day. And Hmm. he moved to Taos in the 60s and still doing it. And he's a really, really cool, well-read, awesome guy. Um. Russell Chatham, hmm. he's a more classical landscape painter from Montana, Livingston, Montana. I had the honor, I fell in love with him when I was 12, and 
when I was 25, I went out to Livingston and shot a little documentary about him. Mm. He's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Ramsey Dow, he's a painter in L.A. He does really, like, detailed work, super modern and beautiful color palette. Vanessa Prager, she's a friend in L.A. She does really cool, high-viscosity paintings that are really rad. I don't know. It can go on and on. Yeah. I love artists. They're, like, so cool. <laughs> How do you consume art or find out about it? Well, I guess I like what I like. So then, uh, you know, and I love all the old masters and all the old impressionists so much. But as far as present-day artists... Just it's one of those rabbit hole things, you know. Yeah. I guess that's another wonderful thing about the old internet is that you do have the things called algorithms and all this mumbo jumbo. But like when you like something, it goes, "Well, hey, maybe you're gonna like this," and you're like, "No, thank you. Get out of my space." Or you're like, "That's even cooler." Yeah. And so like you can go down these rabbit holes of finding so many other inspirational things. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. What about going to galleries and museums? Do you make a point to do that? Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. There's, oh, yeah, yeah. Jonas Wood in Los Angeles. He's really cool. Thomas Asego, he's my, one of my favorites. He's a sculptor. But, yeah, going to art openings, you know, it can either be so inspiring because it's depressing and you're like, okay, just keep on doing what you're doing. Or it's so inspiring that you're like, okay, just keep on doing what you're doing. <laughs> it's either good or sad or bad, but yeah. it's still inspiring to, to see it. And seeing someone took the time and did that, made the work, made the connection, put the art up. It's a lot of parts. Mm -hmm. Do you ever think about how people receive your work or what they think about it? Or what kind of feedback do you get um, that's gratifying in some way? Uh, I don't know. Uh, that I, I mean, art's a communication. So if you make something and it goes out and someone admires it or someone purchases it, it's almost an acknowledgement that someone finished the other half of the conversation. Mm. Thus, you can start a new one. Yeah, I guess it goes back to like a, your success thing. Feedback is if you are able to have new conversations. Mm -hmm. So where is your... Where's your work currently? Because I've been seeing a lot of interesting things on your social media, like sculptural things, working with fabricators. I mean, all kinds of things. Like, what? Give me an idea of what you're, where you're at right now, and what maybe what the future looks like. Um, yeah, I've been working with this foundry in Sunland, Charisma Design, it's run by this awesome couple, and uh, he's like a real genius artist. Like, he can figure anything out. And he's like an engineer, so he can make it stand up straight, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Because I come with my cardboard thing, and he's like, well, actually, this has to... I'm like, oh, yeah. And so he's he's dreamy like that. But um, he works with a water jet cutter, um, and so like I can take a drawing, and he can put it in the CAD file, and then this water jet alien machine cuts it out perfectly, to the scale that you're going to do it and then you weld it together or you hmm. put it and it's and it's a thing it's so cool and then um, I just found out that there's a machine that cuts with light oh isn't that not even wow. just a laser <laughs> but with light okay. and I was like what and um, it's this guy and he, they use it for 
important construction stuff or stuff. Yeah, that has to be pretty exact. Right. But it's in this place called Corona del Mar. And I'm going to go. I said, can I come and just see it? He's like, you'd like to come to the factory? And I'm like, yes. I just want to see it. I just think it's so cool. Why do sculptural work and not just paintings? Because you probably just did paintings for a long time. When did you start doing sculptural work? Um, When I was in college, I actually was like the uh, assistant to the teacher for Mm. welding. And I always have done sculpture. Um, I just could never afford to do it. Um, Ah. And also like the series of paintings, I wanted wanted to really just focus on that. But it's so fun to be able to use a different part of your head when you're thinking about something that's not just one-dimensional. Even though I think my sculptures are very linear in their, I guess, form or execution. Like the sculpture in front of the Wally Workman Gallery. It's yeah. like a line drawing that just got fat a little bit. S- sculptures, I've just been, I guess, going down other roads of experimenting with new materials. Mm-hmm. You know, like anything, you do it a lot for years. You have to find new ways to love it and look at it. That's why I went to linen. I'm, I'm always trying lots of things and the things that actually get shown are the ones that aren't like just not the worst (laughs) 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 so how do you deal with i mean do you see the things that don't work as failures or how do you how do you keep going when you're kind of hit roadblocks uh, you know like how do you persevere through Um, the through the hard times yeah uh eat a lot of garlic, jalapenos, <laughs> things that make you feel. Like, that's what I've always done when I've been very blue. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, force force emotion and feeling through the body. <laughs> wow. Weird anecdote, but true. Um, with the art, like, if something doesn't work, usually, you know, you, know, you can be l- blue about the money at a cost and be like, well, that's a wash. But then, you know how good is saying that 12 times like usually by like the eighth time you're like well maybe i should have done this and then like you're on the little path figuring it out again what do you say to artists that are just have all these doubts they have fears they have i don't know they don't know what to do i just feel like you have you've probably pushed through so many roadblocks and feelings and and you've persevered through your career and i think some people would wonder how you do that, you know, or... Yeah, I've, I've definitely had... I feel like every time I have a show, you know, I guess it is. It's really fun to hear about how other artists work and when they have their off days and stuff. But I think every show, before I have a show, when I ha- I'm going to begin making work, there's, like, at least a week where I'm like, what? I don't even know how to paint. What am I going to paint? What? I don't even know how to. I don't even know how to do this. All I want to do is I want to read books and I want to go smell people's faces and talk to them, and go out in the world. Why do I want to paint? Why do I want to make things? What's the point of making things? Like, of course, like I always have this thought every ah. show, and then I go, okay, America. Well, here's the deal. You've decided to be a painter this lifetime, and you've been doing it, and you you have a mortgage, and you have a lot of responsibilities. So get interested. What are you interested in? What can you be interested in? And then I guess I go back to when I was a kid with Vernon and go, I'm drawing a goddamn hip again. But how could I look at this hip a little differently? 
what, how can I put a teeny, see this hip in rotation, see that hip in motion? And, you know, at first, like, I might not even want to do it. And I go, but then you, you start, like, I'll go, you know what, just paint that canvas blue. Like, I don't want to, I'm hungry or I'm tired or I have these things going on in my personal life or like whatever. And you're like, no, you get, and you just get up there and you paint that son of a bitch blue. And you're like, good, now paint that other one green. Green, you hate green. Okay, gray, paint it gray. And then you paint that gray. <laughs> and before you know it, when you're walking over the next one to paint it yellow, you're like, dum 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 Like your little sing song has come back because you shut up listening to all the doubts and all the other thoughts and you're just doing the work and you still might not have an idea of what to paint but you've got a yellow and gray and blue canvas and that's a start i guess if i was to say anything to other artists i would say like nobody sees the way you see something and no one is going to be able to communicate that in a way but you. Someone can do it. You think, oh, they did it better. Or they, someone else did it. No. No one is you. You are a totally unique person. And if you believe what you want to say, someone else wants to hear it too. And so when in doubt, don't be in doubt. And just do it. And don't stop and do it again. And don't stop. And eventually someone will go like, hmm, what's that over there? That's interesting. And you're like, oh, really? Oh, I have another one. You want to see it? Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Very cool. Well, if anyone hears this before your show comes down at Wally, what are the details about that? 1202 West 6th Street, Austin, Texas. <laughs> Wally Workman Gallery. The Wally Workman Gallery with wonderful Wally and Rachel Stevens. They've been in business for a lot of years and they're lovely ladies and you should go visit them you can go see america's work and that'll be up till i think i think to the end of the month may 26th or something like that yeah Yeah. well thanks america for your time i really appreciate it thank you very much scott for having me on your wonderful podcast all right and we endured the uh, torrential storm (laughs) (laughs) to meet and do this interview so we did it okay thanks 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 for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends and colleagues and consider giving it a review on iTunes. That could help others find it and motivate them to give it a try. At austinarttalk.com, you can visit each episode's webpage to find links related to the relevant and interesting people, places, and things mentioned by each guest. And thanks to those who have reached out with encouragement and positive feedback. I really appreciate it. All the best to you and take care.